The Pittsburgh Steelers improved to 3-3 with a win over the Seattle Seahawks. They entered the bye week on a two-game winning streak. Are the Steelers a Super Bowl contender? Are they absolutely trash? Or is it possible, just possible, that contrary to all the hot takes, 3-3 is where they belong? I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. Welcome to the cutting room floor. This podcast is going to be about the highs and the lows of the Steelers. Specifically this game, right? We're going to look at a game where it wasn't a case of the Steelers being average. It was a case of the Steelers being fantastic and also terrible. It was a story of great a great game for many players, and for other players, an awful game. Truly was the best of games, and it was the worst of games. To start, we're going to look at the offense. The bye week couldn't come for a much better time for Ben Roethlisberger. He could really use a week off. But really, as much as people have micro, you know, analyzed his throw by throw, even myself, I've, I've done it. I look at the film and I just, you know, I react to one play at a time. He's been the same quarterback all season. He has been largely consistent watching his film, watching the throws he makes, watching the throws he struggles with. The difference consistently outside of outside of one game. It was pretty clear uh, against Green Bay. I believe that it was that he, his mechanics were off, right? He, his mechanics had gotten off and they fixed that outside of that game where he was missing some throws badly that he normally makes. He's been the same guy that he's been this whole season. He's been the same guy he was for most of last season. So for me, he's not really holding back the team and he's not really leading the success of the Steelers anymore. This is a quarterback in his last season. A great quarterback at the end of a Hall of Fame career who's not that guy anymore. But he's not terrible. He's pretty solid. I don't I don't think you're there's a lot of quarterbacks that he's still better than in the NFL. I think the problem is he set the bar really high for a very long time. And now he clearly can't live up to it. And that's going to be hard for Steeler fans. And and you know what? I, I understand the people who are like, if he comes back next year, you know, this, that's a terrible thing. Well, yeah. Unless somehow he finds and, and reaches a completely different level of play than where he is now, he shouldn't come back next year. We should be moving on. We should be looking for someone better. But not in the regards of, the Steelers need to go find their next Hall of Fame quarterback, like right now, like in the next few weeks. Like, why are we waiting until the offseason? Where's our superstar quarterback of the future? That's that's not something you can rush. Team, teams try to do that all the time, right? And even oftentimes it'll look at first like they've succeeded. They found that guy, only he's not that guy. Not that guy at all. We saw that with Andrew Luck. Like, what did the Colts do with Andrew Luck? He was a great quarterback. 
Was he their guy, you know? There's so much to it. There's so much into getting a quarterback and having being able to put them into a situation set up for them to succeed so they can grow, be healthy for a long career. Oh, we just get on a soapbox here. Back to the topic at hand. Uh, let's move on from quarterback. Najee Harris didn't have as many opportunities this week as he has as he did, especially last week. The offensive line wasn't giving him great holes. Uh, he is always a guy who shines for me. Like just he is breaking tackles and making things happen. He's gaining four to five yards on plays where other running backs would have lost yards. He's phenomenal. He got it done this week, even without a lot of running running lanes open for him. And he went out of the running back position. He scored a touchdown where he lined up in the slot and ran a nice little route, caught it, went for a touchdown. His backup this week was Kalen Balaj. Uh, Benny Snell had that nasty arm injury and then somehow played on special teams the entire game, despite like walking off the field, holding his, looking like his, he's holding his arm in place. It's, I, seriously, I, I saw that. And I was like, holy crap, his arm is going to fall off. He's broken both the bones in his arm. You know, it's going to be awful. And then he's back out there playing special teams. But Kalen Balaj was in at running back. He actually ran pretty good. He did pretty well. He had some. He put up some decent numbers. So there's no, there's there's some hope there. The offensive line isn't back to being dreadful. They didn't dominate like they did the week before. But if you're getting Kalen Balaj, you know, 15 yards on two carries, that's pretty good. Uh, Balaj was also a pretty good blocker for the Steelers on passing plays. Benny uh, Najee Harris is still not. A great blocker. <laughs> He's not going to be as a rookie. That'll probably take some time. Uh, so it's nice to see Balaj come in, be that kind of guy who can be that blocker, and uh, also run the ball reasonably well. So hopefully hopefully he can spell uh, Najee Harris a little more and not be a huge drop-off in production. Give the Steelers enough to let them be able to move the ball and keep Najee on the bench for a little bit. Moving on from Najee Harris, who is a who is a bright spot there, uh, and Caleb Lodge, I'll give him I'll give him honor I'll give him a second string bright spot. You know he's the bright he, he is a bright spot though because he actually played well as a backup running back. So hopefully that continues. Let's move on to the receivers. I've said this before, but the reality of the Steelers' offense is when you see Deontay Johnson getting thirteen targets and the second highest targets is seven. The Steelers' offense isn't good. Now, this isn't causation. It isn't, oh, you're throwing to Deontay Johnson. That's the worst choice you could make. No. It's when the offense isn't working well, Deontay Johnson is the guy that Ben trusts, that he goes to. He's the guy that he targets. Because Deontay Johnson, when the rest of the offense isn't doing well, still produces enough. Right, he's his his yards per target were not good in this game, but the offense around him was worse than that. So Deontay Johnson is a positive. Uh, Chase Claypool did not have a good game. Did not have a good game. Uh, some of it was on him. Some of it was on Ben. 
some of it was just a really good defensive play. Like if you run your route well and you're get you're open and you're the ball's coming and you go to make a play on the ball and the defender makes a better play, you can't always just catch the ball and you know in spite of that. That's not always an option. Some of those plays were just really good defense. It was a tough game for Chase Claypool. He was not able to overcome it. So that is a negative on him. Uh, I'm not as low on him for this game as some other people are. Uh, but he did not have a good game. An interesting thing was Ray Ray McLeod is the number three receiver, right? Number three receiver at 52 snaps, I think. He got, like, a lot of snaps, whereas James Washington had, like, eight. I have to think. My first thought on that. I shouldn't say I have to think. My first thought there is that James Washington, back from injury, isn't 100%. Or maybe he tweaked something slightly you know, and they were kind of monitoring him throughout the game. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but he played eight snaps. On the other side of this, he hasn't been the guy on film that he was last year and in 2019. It it almost looks like either the offense has changed a bit and he doesn't fit it quite as well, or he doesn't understand it quite as much, or... I hate to go this direction, or he doesn't care as much this year. That's kind of what it looks like. It looks like a guy who's a little bit lost or a little bit apathetic when he plays. I I don't know which it is, and I I really hesitate to go and criticize someone's effort, uh, especially when it's James Washington, right, (laughs) who is one of the better blockers who breaks tackles, who makes tough catches. I do not want to criticize his effort, but that is in the domain of of what I'm seeing on film. That is a potential thing, that he's just kind of fed up with his role on this team and his heart isn't in this season, Uh, which I can understand. I I would not go to say that he is intentionally doing this because football players don't. If if he's going to be a free agent after this season, he wants to put the best film on you know, he wants to put the best film out there that he can get another chance to play and maybe get some money. It's just not happening. So we'll, we'll have to watch that situation that goes forward. Along with Ray Ray McLeod getting more snaps, the tight ends as a position got more snaps. And this, this is something... That, that I really, really loved seeing on film. The, t- the tight ends got more snaps, and it was the most production from the tight from uh, Eric Ebron and Pat Fryermuth, that combo that we have had yet this season. In fact, it is more than those two have produced in the last three games. They outproduced, as a duo, their last three games, right, in this game. Part of that was getting them out in the slide. Getting them more involved in the real routes, you know, the routes that Ben Roethlisberger throws. And we saw them have success. Uh, I think they were like nine for nine combined. It was either eight or eight, eight for eight or nine for nine combined uh, for the position. They had no incompletions. Every time Ben Roethlisberger threw a ball to a tight end, it was caught and they gained yards. Like, that's not, that's, <laughs> that's not bad. With that, I want to give credit to Matt Canada. One of my thoughts watching that was uh, Matt Canada, without with Juju Smith-Schuster out, is able to do a lot more of what we saw in college. 
when you have three main receivers, right, you use them. When you Juju Smith-Schuster is your, is your slot receiver, you use three receivers. Why? Because that's your best offense. Matt Canada's offense does a lot more stuff than just three receivers, right? And when you have formations like two tight ends, two wide receivers, and you can go empty like they did on the goal line and they threw it to Najee Harris, that is tough to handle, especially especially when, when you've got a Najee Harris who can run it, when you've got a Pat Fryermuth who's a really, really good blocker, when you've got Zach Gentry who can catch the ball and is a fantastic blocker, and you've got Eric Ebron who is a really good route runner and a decent enough blocker, right? He's better than the wide receivers at blocking, but he's not a blocking tight end. Those guys create mismatches. So I love Matt Canada's using them with Juju Smith-Schuster out, and I think we're going to see a little bit more Matt Canada. Lastly, I want to get to the offensive line. The offensive line, their play as a unit declined for the first time this season. Now there's, there's two things there. One is that may be them kind of settling into what their value is going to be this season. This is how good they are, or we've gotten close enough that they're not going to see this consistent growth anymore, right? that we're kind of reaching the pinnacle of what this line can be. Or it could be it was just a bad matchup or a bad game. We'll have to watch and see that. Uh, Either way, it is a great time for a buy, and it would be a fantastic time for Zach Banner to come back and give this team another body, another player who can do well. And that's important because this offensive line carries the Steelers. Kevin Dotson in one of his interviews talked about Adrian Clem telling them, just driving home constantly, that this Steelers team is going to go exactly as far as the offensive line takes it. And he's been telling them that. And it's true. You look at Ben. He needs that run game going. He does so much better with it. He needs the blocking. Uh, It's so much more true because of Matt Canada being the offensive coordinator. His system works so much better when the offense can run up the middle of the of the line and gain positive yards. If the defense has to focus on that run game, he has so many ways to attack the opposing team, to put them, to, to misdirect them, to get them thinking about all kinds of different things. And you're just moving the ball consistently down the field. When that run game isn't going, his offense isn't going as well. So that's that's the key. It's going to be the key all season. I, I've talked about it before. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to talk about it again because you, there's not much you can talk about about this offense without the understanding that where the offensive line goes, the offense goes. And I know that's true of just any team, but it is more true of this team with Ben being an older quarterback and not as mobile. With the game, with the best player on the field being Najee Harris and Matt Canada's offense. Those three factors combined to say this offensive line is the most important part of the offense. And as the offense goes, the defense is going to follow. We've seen that too. When the offense is struggling, this defense doesn't have the talent and the depth to keep you know, getting stop after stop after stop after. They're not that defense. So to wound up the first half, the bright spots for this team was Najee Harris. 
the whole tight end position as well as the scheme and how they were used. And Deontay Johnson, because it's not his fault that he becomes the man when the offense is not working, right? He does well when the offense is working, and when the offense is bad, he's the one that that gets volume of targets, not a lot of yards per catch, but he's still producing something, right? He's that guy. His yards per target number go are, are crushed because of that role that he takes. But he's the guy in those circumstances. For the lowlights, for the worst parts of that game, it got to go offensive line. There was a lot of struggles there. And secondly, Chase Claypool. Uh, I'm not personally down on him, but he had an awful game. Awful game. All right, that is our first half. Stay tuned. We'll get back to the second half of this show here shortly, right after this break. Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. This is The Cutting Room Floor. The Cutting Room Floor, as always, is brought to you by the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts. We're coming up on the bye week. And the bye week this year means the Behind the Steel Curtain bye week bonanza. Very clever name there. Uh, We're going to bring you our full slate of regular podcasts which will be covering the Steelers' first six games and, and what's going on at the bye week, where the where the Steelers stand, all the normal content you would expect, as well as a special series of bye week analysis podcasts covering thoughts about the specific, specifically getting into a little more detail about the first half. Uh, you're going to hear different hosts of different podcasts give you their thoughts on who are the best Steelers' best players, on offense and defense, who is surprised, who's disappointed, uh, the Steelers' record, are they, you know, have they have they outperformed, are they underperformed, is this just about the right spot for them? All of those thoughts. I will be doing one, I know a lot of other people are doing them, you're going to get multiple, some of the days, you're going to get multiple ones a day, uh, so check them out, check those out, and especially listen to, to the hosts and all their different predictions for the second half and their thoughts on the first half, of the, on the first part of the season, not half. It's only six games. All right. For the second half of this podcast, we're going to move on to the defense. And we're going to start with one of the brightest of highlights from this game and from the season so far, Cameron Hayward. Cameron Hayward is incredible. He is having another phenomenal season. I know... Uh, going into this game, I don't know where it will be after this game. I don't check their stats, that their grades, but PFF had him rated above Aaron Donald as the best, I think the best defender in football. Um, someone asked me if this was his best season yet. I don't think it is. I, I think he's been at this level the last couple of seasons. If anything, this is the result of some other people not being quite, you know, as good as they were previous season. Cameron Hayward has been this guy for years. 
we are we are looking at a guy who's not suddenly showing up on the scene and, and playing great. He has been playing at a Hall of Fame level for years. He is one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. And as always, it shows up more when Stefan Tuitt is out. Stefan Tuitt is the crash the pocket, create havoc kind of defensive lineman. That's what he does. He doesn't do well being, you know, the guy who is smart and reads the run first and reads the play and gets and you know does positioning and contains the pocket. No, that's not what you have Stefan Tuitt do. Stefan Tuitt, you just when the ball is snapped, get into the backfield, mess up the offensive line, mess up the blocking for the play, get in the quarterback's face, just just create havoc. Stefan Tuitt is a bull in a china shop. That's what he was best at, right? So when Cameron Hayward was playing next to Stefan Tuitt. Cameron Hayward didn't stand out as much because Cameron Hayward was taking complimentary roles to Stefan Tuitt. And the great thing about Cameron Hayward is Cameron Hayward can do literally any job that you ask a defensive lineman to do and do it at a level where he's probably top five in the league at that specific role. Right? You have you have defensive linemen that are fabulous run stoppers who are not great pass rushers. You have guys that are fabulous getting just penetrating and brushing the passer and breaking up the pocket. There are guys who are great at holding the line and reading the play and adjusting and, and, you know, covering for other players and containing the quarterback and not letting him escape. Cameron Hayward can do all of that. He can drop into coverage. He he stuffs the run. He, He does literally all of it as one of the best in the NFL at that specific role, at literally any role you could ask of him. He's one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. To me, that says he's got to be one of the top defensive linemen in the NFL. I, I still think you could always rank Aaron Donald better than him. Aaron, Aaron Donald is surefire, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. He's in that Reggie White class of guys. You know, Reggie White, Mean Joe Green. He's in that class. Cam Hayward is a step behind that, but not much. And he is phenomenal. One of the great things about this game is the Seahawks ran early. They ran a couple plays to the left, and then they just stopped running the ball. They stopped. They ran four times in the first quarter. They gained 19 yards, but two of those were 14 yards. They they had a couple losses. It was kind of bizarre. And they just stopped running the ball, specifically at Cameron Hayward. They stopped running to his side of the field. The second quarter, zero run plays by the Seattle Seahawks. Zero run plays. They had seven pass attempts. They had two sacks, three punts, and one kneel down. They gained a total of 10 yards with one first down. That's it for the entire second quarter of the game. Seattle's defense did offense did absolutely nothing. When the Seahawks came out for the third quarter, they had a different strategy. They ran from the get-go. And they ran a lot. The first three drives of the second half, the Seattle Seahawks ran 16 times for 115 yards. In total, in those three drives, they ran 20 plays and gained 179 yards. They scored two touchdowns and a field goal. Almost every single run play went to the right, away from Cameron Hayward and Alex Highsmith, and towards T.J. Watt and Chris Wormley. 
there's a reason you run it, TJ Watt. Especially in a game where he is rushing the passer and getting pressure and, and you know, threatening a lot. And you're shifting help that way. You run at him to slow it down. To slow him down. Make him read the run. You also run at him because if he is rushing the passer, he's not reading the run. He's going around the arc and you can run right up, you know, right at your right guard and slip right past him. If he's rushing the passer. And if he stops rushing the passer and stops playing the run, you've slowed him down a little bit. Right? You've slowed TJ Watt down and that's that's huge. The great thing about TJ Watt and Stefan Tuitt is TJ Watt can do that because Stefan Tuitt is beating your guard, he's beating the tag, he's beating double teams, and he's just in your backfield creating havoc, right? So you don't just run right at Stefan Tuitt and have the best of success. In this game, there's no Stefan Tuitt. There's no Tyson Alu-Alu. It's Chris Wormley. And Chris Wormley had a bad game. The Steelers ran right at Chris Wormley. Uh, Seattle Seahawks guard Gabe Jackson was winning that matchup. They started running a lot of combo blocks right at him where they would just double team him, drive him backwards, and then one of the guys would get off of the, the off of Wormley and block Joe Schobert. And all of a sudden, you know, the defensive lineman is two yards behind the line of scrimmage, two yards past the line of scrimmage, and the line inside linebacker is blocked, and your running back's running free. That's how their offense worked. I don't want to say that Chris Wormley is terrible. He had a terrible game in run defense. Terrible game when they ran at him. When they ran away from him, he's still solid. He has great lateral movement. Uh, He did well in pass rush. He just was getting beaten. He was getting beaten in the run game when they ran at him. There's, there's no way around it, and that's where they got most of their yards. That's where they got their offense going. Two of their touchdowns. like they Almost all of their offense, 17 points of their 20 points, were gained in three drives where they were just running at Chris Wormley. The Steelers responded, the, the drive after the first one where they'd run all the way down the field, they put Isaiah Loudermilk in, put him in where Wormley was. He stopped the runs to the right better than Wormley did, uh, that play had the big gain to the the tight end where there was a broken tackle, and they scored. A, they ended up with a touchdown on that drive, anyways. For the rest of the second half, when Chris Wormley was the the from the Steelers' defensive side, the left defensive tackle, right, or the left end in a three four set to the and that's the offensive right side, right? Uh, okay. When he was there, they ran at him and gained yards. When they took him out and had Isaiah Loudermilk there, sometimes they moved him to the left, uh, the other side, to the offensive left, to the defensive right, for a while, and that helped. Just because, like, they were just beating him that badly, and most of the big runs in the second half, if you look, if they gained more than like three yards, Chris Wormley was the guy they were running at. For the entire, for pretty much the entire game, if they were, if they gained more than three yards in the second half on a run play, Chris Wormley was the guy they were running at. That's the kind of game he had. He had a bad game. The problem is Isaiah Loudermilk uh, is better against the run than Wormley. He's not. He's no Tyson Alu Alu, uh, but he's better than Chris Wormley against the run. But he brings you practically nothing in pass rush. 
if he's in there and the other team passes the ball, you're, you, he's, the quarterback has all the time in the world. That's why the second drive, they had louder milk in there for Wormley. They didn't run as well, but they moved the ball through the air because he had time. Geno Smith had time, found his matchups. The Steelers' depth on the defensive line and the injuries they have mean they do not have two defensive linemen that can be good at run blocking and run stopping and pass rush. They don't have two. They have Cam Hayward, who's phenomenal at both and who had a fantastic game. And then you've got guys where, like, if the offense would be nice enough to tell you, hey, we're running this play, go ahead and put Isaiah Loudermilk out there, or we're passing this play, go ahead and put Chris Wormley out there, we'd be in, the Seals would be in good shape. We don't have that. So, so it's kind of, it's kind of rough and it's going to be difficult for the rest of the season with, with this defensive line depth until Stefan Tuitt comes back, if he comes back. The inside linebackers are almost impossible to judge from this game because if you're getting blocked three yards beyond the line of scrimmage by an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman, they're getting pushed back to you. It's it's hard to do your job as if you're Joe Schobert and Devin Bush. I, I don't even know where to begin grading them that way. I don't even know where to begin. So uh, the, the inside linebackers get, get an incomplete grade for this week. I can't stress enough how much the Seahawks run game kept them in this game. They would have been absolutely blown out otherwise. If you look beyond those drives, those three drives where they ran all over the Steelers, Geno Smith completed 20 of 28 passes. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. For 145 yards, that's 5.2 yards per attempt. Zero touchdowns, no interceptions, five sacks. Right? Five sacks, 5.2 yards per attempt, and that's not taking out the sack yardage. That's not subtracting sack yards. When you have numbers like that, you're not having a good game. You're not having a good game. You're not winning. But when they were running the ball, they completed three of four passes for 64 yards and a touchdown. Four passes for 64 yards is 16 yards an attempt. 5.2 to 16 based on whether they were dominating the Steelers in the run game. That brings us to our next part. TJ Watt. What can you say about TJ Watt? His stat line was ridiculous. Uh, I loved his penalty for punching at the ball. Yeah, he missed. He punched the player. You've got to call that. He, he threw an elbow. Like one of the punches ended up with an elbow hitting the guy's helmet. Another one, he punched and hit him straight in the chest, missed the ball. I, you've got to call the penalty there. I agree with it. It was a penalty. But you know what? I'm, I'm not upset with TJ Watt for getting that penalty. Go punch the ball out. Go absolutely just take a swing at that ball. Because the turnover at that point wins the game. You know, <laughs> a penalty, eh, not as big a deal. That man does literally everything he can to make a play. He has a crazy motor. He has incredible talent, incredible athleticism. He's incredibly smart. He had three passes defended. He had two sacks. You know, it's just an incredible game he had. The defense leans incredibly on him. He has to make plays for this defense to be good, and he does. 
my point here I want to make is the Steelers, I want you to go walk away from this with, is the Steelers got this man at a discount. Hear that. Let it sink into your brain. They signed him before he got anywhere close to sniffing free agent money, and that's fantastic. It was the great move to make because you got this guy locked down for a pre-massive cap expansion deal. Oh, the Steelers, like you got to love T.J. Watt. you got to love T.J. Watt. He's already outplaying his contract. Already. His partner in crime, Alex Highsmith, guy who hasn't been seeing results but has been putting in work, has been working hard. I don't talk about him much because he's not getting stats, but on film you can see he's working hard. It's just not working out, right? It, it wasn't coming together for him. This game it did. This game it did. He had one and a half sacks, uh, four quarterback hits, seven tackles, two of those for a loss. That's a great stat line for an outside linebacker. You won't hear about him as much this week, though, because T.J. Watt had an even better game. But if you take Watt and Highsmith and you put them together, our two edge rushers, right? By far their best game together, in my opinion, where it was balanced between them. T.J. Watts had phenomenal solo games with Alex Smith also on the other side. But them together in this game, those two players, three and a half sacks, 14 tackles, five of those tackles were for a loss, six quarterback hits, a forced fumble, and three passes defended. That's how you stop a Geno Smith from getting in rhythm and getting going. That's how you beat a backup quarterback. And that's why the Steelers won this game. Talking about the passing game, uh, I need to bring up really quickly Arthur Millette and Trey Norwood playing great football for the Steelers in their limited roles. Right, I don't want to get crazy about it and be like, Trey Norwood's the best cornerback the Steelers have drafted since Rod Woodson. I don't want to, I don't want to go that route. Don't don't start that. That's overreacting, right? Mollett plays the nickel snaps. He comes out for dime. Norwood and Pierre go in. In nickel, Arthur Mollett had a fantastic game. Uh, his blitzes were starting to create a little pressure and cause a little havoc. He forced several incomplete passes. Uh, he made a couple of really good tackles, good hustle plays. He made a great play on special teams, underrated play, getting down there, mixing it up with guys, knowing that once the def- once the return team has touched the ball multiple times, like they had touched it multiple times, he could get in there and mix it up, and if they came away with it, it wasn't their ball. Like It's, it's a still stealer ball, even if he touches it and then they touch it. Able was able to get a touchback out of that when the ball very well could have been stopped on the one-yard line. Very well could have been downed at the one-yard line. He got a touchback out of it. Great hustle play by him. Trey Norwood had a fantastic game. You will, you've will you heard about his game. You'll hear about it more. He lived up to it. Uh, the point I want to make here is these guys represent, them and those two and James Pierre represent the shift we're seeing since Terrell Austin joined the team in the coaching as a coach. The team is focusing more on Smarter players, players who have already, you know, shown specific skills and then using those them to do those specific things they've shown they can do. They focused on that instead of what they used to do, which was raw athletes that we can develop and hopefully they'll become a superstar. And most of them were just busts. But since Terrell Austin has joined the team, the three cornerbacks that we have added, the three defensive backs that we have added, in the offseason, have been good for us. Akella Witherspoon, eh, not so much. But those two guys are playing really good. 
Uh, I also want to give credit to the safeties, Terrell Edmonds and Minka Fitzpatrick. They kept the play in front of them. Eric, uh, DK Metcalf was a key to this game, stopping DK Metcalf. His longest game was 14 yards. And their last game where Geno Smith played really well with DK Metcalf, it was down the field. They gave up nothing down the field to DK Metcalf. He had not a single target that he would, a single pass that was caught of 15 yards or more. Not a single one. Edmonds did well in coverage. I know he got beat a couple of times, but if you look, those were some pretty well-executed pick routes. You need help on those. Some of them he should have had help he didn't get. Other ones, the defensive scheme was just basically like, yeah, we're blitzing. You're one-on-one. Good luck. You know, And he lost it. He lost to a well-executed pick route. You're going to. It's basically two versus one. You're going to lose most of those. But overall, he did well in coverage. Minka had a good game. Uh... They, they, they were good overall. So on defense, our bright spots, quite a decent number. Cameron Hayward, TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith, Trey Norwood, Arthur Millette. The low lights. And this one is really just Chris Wormley and what that means for and what it means for the Steelers that their depth, they don't have really good depth, right? Chris Wormley is not a starter level defensive lineman. He got abused in this game. For a number four defensive lineman, that's not a bad thing, right? You're going to play a few snaps, give them a few good snaps, okay, and you're out. Teams don't get to game plan around you when you're the number four defensive lineman. As the number two defensive lineman, not so much. That's the real low light of this team, and that's the real worry going forward is, on, on defense at least, the defensive line, because we're already we're already down two players. If unless Stephon Tuitt comes back, Chris Wormley's our number two defensive lineman, and that is not great. And that puts a lot more pressure on the offense because that's not something that's going to just get better. Wormsley, Chris Wormley isn't suddenly going to just become a better player simply because the Steelers need him to be a better player. Hey, we need you to be Cam Hayward, so just go ahead and be Cam Hayward. That's not going to happen. That's not realistic. That's our low light. That's the one thing to really watch out for on defense. And it was amazing watching the film to me how well Seattle was able to take that one weakness and just dominate the line of scrimmage. It makes sense to me. You may be sitting there saying, well, the defense coordinator's got to adjust to that. Well, we've seen it on offense. When the offensive line is running well, there's not much the defense can do. If the offensive line is winning the battle, the defense just has to throw more bodies at it, and then other things open up. And like we said, Geno Smith was a great quarterback for those three drives that the that the Seahawks were running all over the Steelers. The rest of it, not so much. The Steelers are going to have to find a way to cover for the defensive line, and mostly that's going to fall on the offense. You're just going to have to find a way to score more points. Or more likely, the Steelers are just going to be a solid to possibly good team to possibly average to below average. They're in that range. They are a, you know, a D plus to B minus team. Unless Stefan Tuitt comes back, unless something happens on the offense to make the offense where the offensive line becomes even really good or something. This is a kind of average range team. I still think they're going to be nine and seven or ten and ten and seven or nine and eight, uh, but this is not this is not a great team. 
And 3-3 three and three is honestly not a bad place for them to be. I, I'm not actually really disappointed so far in this team. They're hanging in there and they're doing well. They're going to win some games they shouldn't and they're going to lose some games they shouldn't. But they're they're going to be a, they're going to be a team that's competitive and hopefully 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 after a bye week we can come back and beat Cleveland and really just rub it in their faces because that would be a big game for this season. That's it for my film room. Uh, there's a lot to look forward to with the Steelers, uh, but not not in the terms of a deep playoff run. More in the terms of watch these young players develop, watch the offensive line develop, watch Najee Harris run, watch watch the offense come together. Watch the defense grow. That's it for my show. Thank you for tuning in to the cutting room floor. Have a great week and I'll see you next week with our bye week bonanza and all my thoughts on the Steelers so far and heading forward into the last rest of the season. Have a good day. (laughs) 